you cannot even know how excited I am for what you guys are getting ready to hear. Y'all got to hear Miss Kristen sing last night. Wasn't she so great? But here's what I love. I love when somebody is not just defined by one thing. Right, when you position yourself to say, God, I will be used in whatever capacity you challenge me or call me to be used. I will try my best to say yes. Sometimes that looks like working in the nursery and changing diapers. Sometimes that looks like showing up early and making the coffee. Sometimes that looks like, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone. Sometimes that looks like God asking you to share your story or give a testimony. It can look all kinds of ways. But for this morning, for this moment, I'm so so thrilled for you guys to hear Kristen Scott share a word. Can you give her a hand as she makes her way up? My friend, my friend, my friend. Good morning. I'm so excited to be with you. And Pastor Andrea, uh, thank you for the invitation. Um, that means a lot. It definitely does mean a lot. Um, and thank you all for being so welcoming. I, I love when I get to walk around. And just like Pastor Andrew was saying, she wants this place to be warm and welcoming. You guys are that. You can't just say you want that and it happens. You guys already are that. So thank you for welcoming me and um, just being cool with me. And um, so just to let you know a little bit of who I am, I don't know, maybe Pastor Andrew already shared in some ways. Um, but I'm Kristen. Uh, hey, where was you at? <laughs> Shout out, hey. Uh, I am from, born and raised in Mansfield, Ohio. Was there for 35 years, um, Richland County. Moved around in the county, and then, um, and I served, served at Storyside Church for seven years. So um, if you've been here for some time, I'm sure Pastor Mike Pelkey, his Pastor Angel, have been here. I totally love Pastor Mike, and he is literally always on my phone, and I'm always texting, so we're still connected. And then two years ago, I felt a call to uh, Greenville, South Carolina. So I don't, to this day, I still don't know why. Um, but I just felt like I should be in Greenville, South Carolina. So right now I have the honor of, um, just like Pastor Andrea was just saying, like you never know, you know, how you're going to be used. Right now, I'm used, I'm, I make BMW engines. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So if you have a BMW outside and you have problems with the engine, it is possible <laughs> that I could take it apart for you and find the problem. <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's a skill set that I don't want, but I have. <laughs> um, single, no kids, 37. Uh, and actually just recently, like you guys are the first to know, so don't tell. Um, so, like, next month, I just ex actually accepted a position in Chicago. So, I will be, I'll be moving, I'll be moving out to Chicago. So, I'll get to be creative director and serve at a, um, serve at a church in Chicago. Um, so, I want to honor your time. And uh, I have loved the theme of renewal. And I have walked through that. And I, I just believe that seeing your hearts open to renewal and just your time of worship, it's, it's encouraged even me. So um, I believe that there's something that God wants you to, to, to hear today, and I hope your hearts are open and ready. I want to go straight to the word. It's, um, we're going to read from the Passion Translation out of Luke chapter 8. It's a very familiar passage. And... It's about a woman who actually got renewed. And 
I believe that we're going to learn some things from her story, and I believe that you could in some way find yourself in the passage. We'll start in verse 40. It says, when Jesus returned to Galilee, the crowds were overjoyed, for they had been waiting for him to arrive. Verse 41 and 42 says, just then a man named Jairus, the leader of the local Jewish congregation, fell before Jesus' feet. He desperately begged him to come and heal his 12-year-old daughter, his only child, because she was at the point of death. And as Jesus started to go with him to his home to see her, a large crowd surrounded him. And in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered greatly for 12 years from slow bleeding. Even though she had spent all she had on healers, she was still suffering. Pressing in through the crowd, she came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. Instantly, her bleeding stopped and she was healed. Jesus suddenly stopped and said to his disciples, someone touched me. Who was it? While they all denied it, Peter pointed out, this would have been me, you guys. I like to state the obvious. <laughs> like, Jesus, you know all these people around you. Master, everyone's touching you, trying to get close to you. The crowds are so thick. We can't walk through it all without, you know, these people, you know, being jostled. 46, Jesus replied, yes, but I felt power surge through me. Someone touched me to be healed, and they received their healing. When the woman realized she couldn't hide any longer, she came and fell trembling at Jesus' feet. Before the entire crowd, she declared, I was desperate to touch you, Jesus. For I knew if I could just touch even the fringe of your garment, I would be healed. Jesus responded, beloved daughter, your faith in me released your healing. You may go with my peace. And so today I just want to share about just entitled the story that I'll tell. So as I as I read through this, I have this um, this habit of being obsessed with like nature, the, the human body. So it's because my mom d didn't want to buy us toys. And so she, would, she wouldn't let us watch commercials. So she made us watch like PBS and like the Animal Planet. We really didn't get toys. Uh, the Animal Planet Channel, Discovery. So I've, ever since then, it's like ingrained in me that I like to know about the human body. And according to, I think it's Live Science or LiveScience.com, um, I was thinking about the renewal and your, your topic and just what this, this woman was experiencing. There's trillions of cells in our bodies. And all of the cells that we have today are not the same that we had yesterday. And over time, these cells age and become damaged. And then your body starts to replicate them and they create their own replacements. And then we have certain cells in our organs and systems and within a matter of months, they replace. So like, for example, your skin and your gut, the cells replace themselves. Liver cells, three years. So the cells in your, or in your liver three years ago are brand new today. And then it takes about 10 years for the cells within your skeleton to replace in its entirety. And then as women, we have this like monthly friend. Maybe not everybody. <laughs> not yet. Maybe you're past that point or maybe before it. We have this monthly friend that shows up. We'll call her Aunt Flo. Yeah. And so the purpose, I figured it's a safe place, you know, we're women. And I, you know, the purpose of this menstrual cycle is to prepare the body for possible pregnancy. That's why you have it. And during this cycle, you have a mature egg that's produced in the ovaries. And then the lining of your uterus gets 
thicker to support that possible pregnancy. But when pregnancy doesn't happen, sheds the lining. Every single month, she likes to show up and flow, cramping my legs, cramping my back. <laughs> but every time there's no pregnancy, it, the, the, the lining sheds, and then it begins again. It is a constant cycle. And then, you know, it's about 10 years of, 10 to 12 years of age. Um, some, of, some might be older. The onset of like having your period come is like super celebrated, especially in that time, because it showed that a girl had transitioned from childhood to womanhood. And so even like my mom, she never even talked to me about it. She thought because I had older sisters, they would teach me about it. I had no clue, no clue. Um, my sister's dad, though, bought her roses, like celebrated it big. Um, like, wow, you have transitioned into this beautiful time of womanhood. But in this passage, there is a lot that we don't know about this woman. Um, we don't know her name. We don't know her status. We don't know her connections. We really don't know how old she is. Maybe an estimate, we might be able to guess, but we don't know her age. Um, but she was introduced to us by her condition. And if, you know, she, before, you know, this story happened, this woman did live normally. So she bled for 12 years. But there was a time before the 12 years started that she was, she might have been like one of the popular girls in the village, you know. I don't know, they didn't have Instagram, but maybe she, you know, she had a lot of friends, a lot of followers. Maybe somebody was looking at her, you know, like, I'm gonna get her. Yeah, you know, they around the well. Isn't that what they did? <laughs> you know, I don't know what they did or where they were at. You know, maybe she was devoted, you know, to going to the uh, synagogue or t the tabernacle. You know, I don't know what she did. Um, and we really don't know the details of her place in society. We just have one, you know, only speculations. But then one day her, you know, this period comes. You know, it's lighter than normal, but she does what she normally does. You're supposed to be like put away. You're considered unclean, biblically. Um, you're supposed to just put away, just isolate for those few days. But then like that, those seven days like turn to 14 days. She's like, oh, this is different. You know, she stays in the house, stays put away. And then that 14 days turns to like six months. It's like, whoo. But and it's just slow. It's not dramatic, you know. Um, she stays away, she don't really make a fuss, and that six months turns to two years. And now the, you know, she's talking to the doctors. The doctors can only get her so far. Two years turns to six years. She's starved of relationships and friendships. Six years turns to eight years. She slips into depression. Nobody's really asking about her anymore. She's like stepping down into this pit. She's starved of touch. The doctors are at their wits end. She really doesn't have any money left because it says she spent it all on healers. And now this culture has defined her as being an outcast. You know, she really can't go out in public. She can't be touched. She can't be loved on. The guy that was talking about her, the guys was talking about her around the well, they're not interested anymore. Actually, she don't even really exist because they don't see her. She can't come out in public. She's really forgotten about, and her condition has become her identity. 
But there are four things that I believe God highlighted to me. Um, For this woman, in order to get her renewal, she found herself in a few places. And I, again, believe that maybe you could find yourself um, in this woman's story. So the very first thing that I saw was that this woman was in the crowd. Verse 43 says that in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered. So she wasn't supposed to be there. You guys, 12 years she had created this habit of only going to the doctor and going home. But that day she decided she was going to get in the crowd because there was a man there that she was just trying to get to. So she wasn't, you know, she wasn't supposed to be there. She knew she wasn't supposed to be there. Has anybody ever felt like an imposter? You know, there's this new, I didn't really hear about it years ago, but there's this thing called like imposter syndrome where you feel like a fraud. It doesn't matter what your qualifications are, what your achievements are, but you just have this like looming self-doubt that just stays in you. It could be in your family that you might feel like an imposter. It could be in your, at your job. I don't know, maybe it feels like it in your marriage. You feel like a fraud. You could be lonely, and because of your brokenness and decisions, maybe life happened to you. You had to be put apart, and you, you consider yourself to be unclean. And so now you feel like, oh, I really don't belong here. I'm, a, I'm not what they think I am. And you think you don't belong, or culture says you don't belong because you're too broken. I just want to encourage you today that no matter what culture says, no matter what, what society says, show up. Yeah. If you have to show up afraid, just show up. All you had to do, all you have to do is get in the crowd. That's, what, that's the first step the woman took. She just got in the crowd. She didn't really know what she was going to do, but she got in there and she knew that she had to get to Jesus. The second thing that I see is that this woman, after she was in the crowd, She was in desperation. Verse 48 says that she was, when she talked to Jesus, she's like, I was, I was just desperate to touch you. And the definition of desperate is she tried in despair or when everything else had failed. And then also the definition is having a little hope of success. So it wasn't that there's no hope. It's just, it's just a little hope of success. So sometimes I believe, you know, maybe we're desperate to be seen, you know, desperate to be touched, desperate to be known, desperate to be understood, desperate to be heard or included. And this woman had done all she could. She had exhausted all of her options and still nothing. I believe if you bleed long enough, you're going to lose strength. But she was desperate. She didn't have no hope, but there was, she, she had just a little bit of hope left to get her to where she needed to be for her renewal. And just a little bit about, like, who I am. So I got married at 21. I don't have a ring on, so you, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> I got married at 21, and I was the perfect daughter-in-law. You hear me? Perfect. <laughs> So I married into a pastoral family. It was like a smaller church. And 
honestly, I married the family more than I married him because I just loved the idea of ministry. And like, as soon as I got in, like I'm singing on the praise team, right? And I'm, I take over, I take over the choir, I'm the choir director. And then I'm over the dance ministry, my ministry. Can you imagine that? Face painted white. <laughs> yeah, I have pictures. Um, and then I'm, I'm traveling with my mother-in-law. So my mother-in-law was a traveling evangelist. And so I, would, I was her driver, and I would carry her bag, and I would help her change her shoes when she was preaching, and I'd have her towel and her water, and I would stand close. People used to praise me. This is crazy. Praise me because of how I supported her in ministry. And um, all the while, though, I'm, I'm going home to an abusive husband. And I never really knew when it would strike. Couldn't put my finger on it. I knew most times it was going to be when he was drinking, but he liked to choke. Um, backhand. The very first time that we got into it, um, it was, so we dated for two years. We, we started dating at 19, got married at 21, never a red flag of abuse. Two months after we got married was the first time he ever put his hands on me. Busted my lip, choke marks in my throat, broke a, back, broke a, a bathroom door over my back, bruises up and down my leg. Yeah, I got him out of jail for that one. And then, you know, times will come, you know, I, I would, you know, I kind of started to, like, oh, maybe I could deal with this. Slammed up, up against a few walls, dragged down the stairs. One time he tried to drag me out of the house with no clothes on. And I'm just, I stayed because I was the perfect daughter-in-law. And I didn't want really anybody to know that that was going on. And, you know, then I started getting wind of the cheating. I'm like, whoo. And I had dropped into such a depression and putting on, where's the, who wrote the, the poem? Where are you at? So when you shared about the putting the, the face on, the lipstick, I could relate to that so much because that's what they, they told me that I had to do when I was the, family of a first family, um, I had to wear a face, to have a face of flint. And so I'd always put this face on and act like everything was fine. I would go and I would stand with the family. I would smile. You know, he'd be playing the drums and we'd, we'd have church. And then I would go home not knowing what was going to happen. And I remember the day I was, I don't know, I can't remember where I was, but I was observing happy couples, happy marriages. I was looking at them, and I was like, I guess that's just not in the cards for me. I guess that's just what I'm going to have to deal with. That's not something that God has for me, is happiness or safety or, or children. Because I wanted to have kids, but he didn't really want to go through the process of it. So I thought, you know, maybe that's just what I'm supposed to do. And then years pass. Now, I believe in reconciliation. However, 
in my situation, because of my safety, I had to leave. And in that time period, I lost my marriage. I lost my job two months after. I lost my church home. So I felt so ill, out of place and so deep and desperate. Barely any hope left. I was like, man, God, I literally don't know what I'm supposed to do. Joyce Meyer says there are two kinds of pain. The pain of change and the pain of never changing and remaining the same. And so I had a choice to make. And the hardest things I had to do was decide to be healed and decide to be and to decide to forgive. That meant that I couldn't keep my brokenness as a trophy. And I'm talking about the broken pieces. I couldn't keep that as a trophy. Like I had to learn, I had to like, God, I'm going to have to give you these, these pieces. But the reason why I didn't want to give him those pieces was because that, if I give them to you, that means there, it, it invalidates that I went through it. But giving him those pieces changed my life. I, I guarantee you I wouldn't be standing here right now had I not given those pieces to him. Had I not said, you know what, you can have this. I don't need this as a trophy. You can take this. This is not my prize. But I surrendered them to the potter. And you know what? He turned that thing into something beautiful. I am not the same person that I was. They used to, people used to tell me that they could see it on my face. Again, I tried to cover it, but they said it in my eyes. They knew I was so unhappy and that I was so broken. And all of that, I had to surrender. It's like, God, you know what? You get to have this one because I don't know what to do with it. Because I keep these pieces in my hand. I was keeping those pieces in my hand like, mm-mm, this is mine. And even now to this day, I have a scar on my neck. I used to hide it. I have a scar on my neck from the last time I was choked. It's a permanent scar from 2012. And now, when I, look, when I used to look at it, it used to just break me, just tears. But when I look at it now, after what God did, and making turning beauty, you know, for ashes, I look at it, I'm like, man, I made it. I made it through. The third thing that I see is this woman showed up in her identity. There's a message that I heard years ago, uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick, he preached it and he said, he just made the statement, God can't bless who you pretend to be. I'll say that God can't bless who you pretend to be. And after the woman in this story that we read, after she identified herself, Jesus zoomed in on her. Because he was saying who? You know Jesus is all-knowing. <laughs> Y'all know he knew who it was. You know, it's just like he's, um, he know. <laughs> he's Jesus. 
He said, who touched me? I felt power surge through me. And she identified herself. What this woman teaches us is that God gives us his attention. He's not multitasking, you know. And while it may seem that God is on his way to restore someone else, because he really was, he was on his way to Jairus' house to heal her daughter. While it may seem like God is doing everything for everybody else around you, and that they're getting the house, and that they're getting blessed, and they're getting their healings, they're getting jobs, they're having the children when you're struggling to have a baby, they're getting married, like they just got, how did they just get married, and I've been waiting for seven years to get married. When it seems like that God is on his way to bless somebody else, he will stop, and he will make room for you. He makes room for you. He makes room for you. So don't count yourself out. Fourth thing that I see, it's the last thing that I see, is that she showed up in faith. This woman had this continual existence of pain and being cast out. That's what was renewing for her in that moment. The pain was renewing itself because she was continually cast out. But we have this Jesus who met her in that space and does the exact opposite of what was expected. Society had cast her out. Society was disgusted. The culture was like, mm-mm, repulsed. You don't get to be here. But Jesus responds with peace with grace, with mercy, with acceptance, understanding, and he calls her beloved daughter. He accepts her and he offers her peace and he heals her. Vance Havner is quoted saying, God uses broken things It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. And it's Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever. To this woman who showed up in faith, it was faith that pushed her. Faith that pushed her into the crowd that day where she was considered out of place. It was faith that pushed her with little hope of success and desperation. It was faith that pushed her out into public with what should have been hidden and she exposed it just to get to the presence of Jesus. And so women, that's the story that we get to tell. The story that we tell isn't that we're broken, period. The story is, I was broken, but I'm desperate. I was broken, I was hidden, I was seeking, but I found a man who could heal me. I'm weak, 
but I've got fight left. Maybe it's little hope, but I've got some hope left. I've got fight left in me. Don't count me out. And the story that I'll tell is that I'm going to do whatever it takes in my power to get to where you are. If it means that I have to just touch what's touching you, I'll do whatever it takes to get my renewal, to get my restoration, to get my healing. And the story that I'll tell is that I was desperate to be healed. I was desperate to be renewed. I was desperate to have joy. I was desperate to have peace. I was desperate to be understood. I was desperate to be seen. And I found a man who I could touch and who could touch me. And he called me beloved daughter. He didn't turn me away. He didn't do what everybody else did. But he says, beloved daughter, it's your faith that healed you. And now you can go with my peace. Can I pray for you? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I believe there are some women in the room with some circumstances. Maybe you've been cast out. Maybe you've struggled with not having peace or not having joy different issues in your story or that you think are issues and life has maybe been unfair and you've done all you can do finances, marriage maybe it is abuse maybe it's the abortion you don't talk about Maybe it's something going on in your home that you don't share. Maybe it is something hidden, something that's exposed. You feel you would be judged about. We have this opportunity now. Here in the presence of Jesus, we don't have to try to touch the hem of his garment. We get to touch him. He's with us and he's here. And I pray in the name of Jesus that every woman, no matter what's going on in the story, from the oldest to the youngest, no matter the situation or the circumstance, we could show up today. We're already in the crowd. We're already here. Thank you for the desperation, for the hope that we have left, for the fight that we have left. I pray that there's faith that's in somebody Somebody in this room that says, you know what, I'm coming to get my healing, coming to get my peace, coming to get my renewal, my restoration. God, I thank you that you can move on hearts today and that there is a surrender, that there is an obedience, that there is an awareness that we get to release to you today. 
You are the God of the renewal. You are the God who restores. And you wrap us in your love. And today, instead of identifying us by our sickness, and instead of identifying us by our decisions, and instead of identifying us by our mistakes and what happened to us, God, I thank you that today right here in your presence, you call us beloved daughter. We are loved by you and we feel your love. We feel your peace. Thank you for taking these pieces, this brokenness, and putting it back together and making something beautiful. Thank you that your hands are perfect and that in your hands there's nothing that we have to worry about, that we can surrender all to you, all in your presence. And you keep us and you mold us and you position us for beauty because you make all things beautiful. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And it is so.